section four of the wars of the roses by robert balmain mowat this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter three the french war when young henry the sixth not quite nine months old succeeded to the throne the prestige of the crown was very high henry v had been acknowledged heir to the french throne but when he died on august thirty first fourteen twenty two he was still uncrowned in france his father-in-law the mad king charles the sixth was still alive and reigning though not ruling but within two months october twenty first fourteen twenty two poor charles the well-beloved had died so henry the sixth was proclaimed king of france henry v had done his work well renewing the claim of edward the third to the french crown he had fought a war of aggression for pure conquest it was the logical converse of the expedition of william the conqueror in ten sixty six then a frenchman had set himself on the throne of england cynically alleging that he was only enforcing his legal rights now an englishman with an equally baseless pretext had set his foot on the steps of the french throne and his son was soon though only for a time to wear the crown within four years after the victory of agincourt henry v had reduced practically the whole of normandy and established himself as completely sovereign duke there in the next year fourteen nineteen the english forces overran the isle of france and the old king was forced to accede to henry's terms in the cathedral church of troyes on the upper seine on may twenty first fourteen twenty the famous great peace was concluded by which henry became heir to the crown of france marrying the french king's daughter catherine and governing the kingdom that soon was to be his as regent for his ailing father-in-law there was only one check to the victorious career of henry v he was the legal crown prince of france but charles the sixth's son the dauphin charles who had been disinherited by the treaty of troyes refused to acknowledge him the dauphin proclaimed himself to be king of france and although the english were masters of most of france to the north of the river loire and also of guienne he maintained a heroic struggle in the country to the south of the loire while henry went back to england to crown his queen thomas his elder brother the duke of clarence was defeated and slain by a combined force of french and scots at Beauget in anjou march twenty second fourteen twenty one this was the first serious defeat the english had sustained next year found henry consolidating his conquests and capturing such towns as still held out against him in central france when death overtook him at vincennes on september the first fourteen twenty two the defeat at Beauget was prophetic of the ultimate fate of the english power in france yet the tide did not set in favour of the dauphin for some time henry the sixth was king of england king of france duke of normandy the privy council of england sat as usual at london there was a council at rouen and another at paris the king's uncle the heroic john duke of bedford was appointed according to the terms of henry v's will regent of france and normandy 
his brother the unstable humphrey duke of gloucester was protector of england when bedford was absent there seemed no likelihood that in thirty years the lancastrian dynasty would no longer be recognized in france and already would be tottering in england henry v was right in his view success in france meant success for his dynasty in england merely as an english king the lancastrians title to the throne might be questioned there were others living in england whose rights might be advanced but if the lancastrian line by conquest acquired the sovereignty of france englishmen would proudly hail them king no one could say that either in law or fact the lancastrians were not true kings and if they men of the plantagenet blood were kings in france were they not kings of england too in the same way the german kings from the tenth to the thirteenth century strengthened their title in germany by getting themselves crowned holy roman emperor in rome but if the english should be driven out of france if the lancastrians should lose their indefeasible right by conquest to wear the crown of the capet then their hold on the regal dignity would be tremendously weakened clearly as kings of france by right of conquest and by solemn treaty they had no english rival the lancastrian family and the lancastrian family alone had conquered france and received the crown in notre dame their right to the english crown which some lawyers might hold to be weak was covered over by their established possession of the historic throne of france but once lose the regal dignity in france and the title to the crown of england might hardly stand alone the gradual loss of the french territories has therefore an important bearing on the origin of the wars of the roses and on the ultimate downfall of the lancastrian dynasty with the loss of the french territory the lancastrian position as french king was gone the name might remain but by itself it meant nothing until the dramatic appearance of joan of arc in the field the english power under the wise and firm guidance of bedford went on prospering but although the english administration in france was good although the peasantry were treated with consideration and the middle classes were encouraged in trade and in self-government yet the forces of nationality even in distracted divided feudal france were too strong when the romantic figure of joan of arc appeared with her devoted and religious passion to free france from talbot and the english she became a focus for all the vague national and patriotic aspirations of the people whom neither the craft and pertinacity of the dauphin nor the valour of the professional generals had till then been able to rouse the strong ally of the english in france was philip the good duke of burgundy his father had been murdered by some of the dauphin's supporters at the bridge of montereau on the seine in 1419 between philip and the english the king of bourges as the dauphin was satirically called seemed to have little chance in fourteen twenty three the anglo-burgundian forces defeated the french with their scottish allies at cabon on the yonne in the east of france next year james i the scottish king who for eighteen years had been captive in the tower of london was released on condition of paying a ransom and recalling the scottish soldiers from france 
so the french were left to fight their battles alone in that year august seventeenth fourteen twenty four bedford met an army of the dauphin charles the seventh at verneuil on the river havre to the northwest of france after a severe battle in which bedford fought personally on foot wielding a great pole-axe the french were driven off the field but the battle showed that they were not afraid to meet the best english army in a hand-to-hand -hand conflict the result of the victory of verneuil was that the english were now predominant in all the land north of the loire with the exception of a few towns on the river itself the war dragged on for four years more before anything decisive happened the english were hampered by the lack of strong financial support from home while the king of bourges had to witness a renewal of internecine war between some of his own followers meanwhile bedford was steadily building up a solid english government in the conquered territory and in fourteen twenty eight the council at paris decided that the time was ripe for a further advance to be made a new english general thomas de montacute earl of salisbury had come out to act under bedford salisbury with a good army advanced to the loire and gained in all thirty-eight small towns then on october seventh fourteen twenty eight against the advice of bedford it is said he proceeded to invest the city of orleans the strongest town on the north bank of the loire being with its important bridge the key to the southern country the siege of orleans was the turning point in the history of the english occupation of france every effort was made by the english to take the city the council in london strained every nerve to provide adequate supplies of men and money for the task but on october twenty second the earl of salisbury received a fatal wound and england lost one of her most successful soldiers even before joan of arc brought the french army of relief it ought to have been clear that orleans was not to be taken the blockade of the english army was never really effective for all through the siege supplies were brought up the river from blois which was in the dauphin's hands and introduced into the city on may eighth fourteen twenty nine the siege was raised by the english joan followed up her successes and on june eighteenth defeated talbot and the english at pate on the road to paris itself on july tenth she brought the dauphin to rheims and had him solemnly crowned as charles the seventh in august the maid brought her army before paris but failed to gain the capital the english power slowly declined as a demonstration to the contrary the english council sent the young king henry who had already been crowned in london in fourteen twenty nine over to paris to be crowned king of france there in the ancient capital of the capet in fourteen thirty one six months before this coronation the maid who had been captured was burned by the english at rouen from this point any successes scored by the english commanders were only temporary their administration in france degenerated and they began to treat the peasants with undue severity philip of burgundy began to feel that he had sufficiently revenged his father's murder on the bridge of montereau and in fourteen thirty five he left the losing cause and took the natural line of joining his kinsman charles the seventh by the treaty of arras this was on september eleventh 
on september fifteenth at rouen the wise noble and loyal duke of bedford breathed his last he was only forty-six years old next year the french army entered paris the english power in france was certainly doomed supplies of money from home always inadequate seemed after the year fourteen thirty three practically to have ceased the north of france was no longer a place where war could be made to support war but the english captains struggled on for eight more years the war except for a short time after agincourt had never been really popular in england and yet public opinion would not tolerate a peace to maintain the war became a sort of point of honour with the nation yet they would not pay for it for eight years the english grimly maintained themselves in normandy and in guienne after bedford's death the commander-in-chief of the forces in france was the duke of york son of the richard earl of cambridge who had been executed for treason in fourteen fifteen york who was twenty-five years old when appointed to the french command in fourteen thirty six showed good military ability and achieved some successes he held the position of lieutenant-general of france and normandy for two periods fourteen thirty six through fourteen thirty seven and fourteen forty one through fourteen forty five but the council of henry the sixth had not full confidence in him and in fourteen forty seven he was sent out of the way to be lieutenant of ireland meanwhile in fourteen forty four the home government had arranged a truce with charles the seventh according to which the english gave up everything except normandy guienne and calais and henry the sixth was to marry the niece of charles the seventh margaret of anjou the marriage was carried out next year and the english garrisons were withdrawn from men and anjou the truce was renewed and maintained till fourteen forty nine when the plundering forays of the ill-paid english garrisons against the friends and subjects of charles the seventh provoked the formal outbreak of war again the english general in france edmund beaufort was a conspicuous failure as compared with his predecessor york less than a year sufficed for the french to conquer the whole of normandy which was held by quite inadequate forces among what was now an alien and hostile population guienne the oldest dependency of england was still left it was bound to england by a strong economic tie it was a great wine country and the prosperity of the countrymen of guienne and of the merchants of bordeaux depended largely on the wine fleet that sailed annually to london but by the end of fourteen fifty one all guienne city by city had been conquered too in fourteen fifty two the gascons asked for help from england they found the new french government more irksome than the old english government had been talbot our good dog who had grown old in the french war but whose spirit was as high as ever was sent over to their help with about three thousand men he soon brought the bordelais back into english power but next summer he flung himself on the french camp in front of castillon and after a severe fight suffered defeat and death at the same time guienne was lost thus in the words of the burgundian varin whose active life included the last forty years of the war by the grace and aid of god the duchy of guienne was brought back into obedience to the king of france 
soon after the duchy of normandy and all the french kingdom except the town of calais which is still left in the hands of the english may god be willing that it too be brought back if the scripture is to be fulfilled which says better is obedience than sacrifice the failure to hold france ruined the lancastrian dynasty although undoubtedly the failure was for the good of england the french and the english would never in all likelihood have done well under a common sovereign nor would england have grown to the strong consolidated imperial position which she later attained france was too opulent her people too brilliant ever to be secondary to england the greater would have drawn the less as england after sixteen o three drew scotland england might have sunk to be a second-class kingdom overshadowed by the brilliant and attractive france the causes of the failure are not to be sought far in the first place the military superiority of the english was gone by the early days of henry the sixth just as after the early victories of edward the third du guesclin organized a workmanlike professional army to take the place of the feudal levy so after the victories of henry the sixth which had been partly due to the fact that the french had again gone back to the feudal system of fighting a new professional army was created by such men as the bastard of orleans la hire and Poton de Zintraille. the establishment in fourteen thirty seven of the perpetual tax known as the taille enabled charles the seventh to maintain this professional army and especially to have regular companies of artillery weapons in which the french showed immense superiority to the english in the later stages of the war in the second place the english were attempting to hold districts where with the exception of the bordelais the population felt an intense dislike to them the lack of proper supplies from england the life in small garrison towns varied only by feverish raids into the enemy's country demoralized the soldiery even in normandy the memory of the good administration of henry v and bedford was effaced and just as napoleon found it impossible to hold down by garrisons countries where the population had a bitter and national hatred for them so too the english captains with their companies of hard-bitten soldiers found it impossible to hold down france in the third place the early english successes had been partly due to the divisions of france it was the faction fights between the burgundian and armagnac or orleanist parties which so weakened the french monarchy but when in fourteen thirty five the duke of burgundy made his peace with charles the seventh and united his strength to the national forces the moral as well as the material position of the french was immensely strengthened and the flank of the english sphere of occupation was exposed to a steady and continuous attack from the east in the fourth place the situation of the english in france from the early years of henry the sixth was not easily defensible the english sphere consisted of the outlying dependency of guienne which was strong enough so long as england retained command of the sea and kept the ring of fortresses from bayonne to blaye which defended the frontier toward the french kingdom but the rest of the english territory was a sort of triangle with its base from the frontier of brittany to the west to calais on the east and with its apex at paris 
the loss of the burgundian alliance which safeguarded the east of this triangle and the loss of paris at the apex in two successive years fourteen thirty five and fourteen thirty six made the english position practically untenable in the fifth place the administration of the home government left a great deal to be desired one defect was that it had no united policy the council being divided into two parties those who desired to proceed with the war and those who advocated peace while it could be obtained with honourable terms the war party was led by the king's younger uncle humphrey duke of gloucester and the peace party by his great uncle henry beaufort bishop of winchester up till fourteen forty four the war party gained its own way but never completely the war was carried on but not at all costs in any step taken the main consideration had to be economy moreover the divisions in the council sometimes became most acute and twice bedford who was continually overworked had to leave the direction of affairs in france and fly to london to make peace between his contending relatives later on the duke of york was removed from the command in france to ireland and the much less capable edmund beaufort put in his place but the lack of money would in any case have ruined everything to maintain the war became a point of honour with the people for any minister to propose peace was a dangerous proceeding the peace of fourteen forty four and the french marriage cost the minister suffolk his life and yet although parliament kept insisting on a war policy it refused to pay for it the revenue even for purposes of peace was continually shrinking the theory that the king should live off his own and maintain his own war was still believed so the army in france was starved and the english garrisons stubbornly fighting wasted away or were pushed backwards to the sea it is always easier in the long run to attack than to defend and it is always easier to rewin a country where one's friends are living than to hold an alien country in spite of the inhabitants the forces of french patriotism were continually rising the life of joan of arc inspired the whole nation and charles the seventh whose character gradually grew stronger as the long schooling of the war proceeded formed a centre for the national aspirations the fifteenth century saw the birth of patriotism the feudal system was breaking up and the claims of france were superseding the claims of the fief the rise of french patriotism was the doom of the english occupation it may be granted then that the loss of france was not entirely the fault of the lancastrians henry the sixth was not a soldier he took no real part in the war under any other king the french dependencies must have been lost sooner or later but the effect of the loss on the position of the dynasty was disastrous the glorious adventure of henry v the proudest days in the long history of england had ended in failure abroad and financial bankruptcy at home the troubles from which since thirteen ninety nine the dynasty had never been wholly free now rose up into startling magnitude End of section four